And with that, let's read our Bibles. We stand, stand with me this morning and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezekiel. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. It's on page 482. We'll be reading Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. It's again Ezekiel 22, verse 30, as Pastor Bruce starts a new series, Stand in the Gap. That kicks off today on January the 11th. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Dear God, we come to you this morning, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that it reveals, and ask that you open our hearts and minds to learn as Pastor Bruce brings the message, and be with him, and give him the words to speak, and our hearts to be open and be changed through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to begin the year, start the year with a worship series, as Zach said, called Stand in the Gap. And specifically, this series is uh, for those of you who call Glenwood home. That is, you're an attender here, you're a member here, and uh, you're part of this church family. If, if you're a guest here today, Uh, I'm glad you're here with us, and I want to invite you to kind of listen in and join in with us as we take uh, today and the next two Sundays to talk about our church and kind of the challenge before our church. Eight years ago, as a church, we committed to follow God's leading to stand our ground together. And in spite of the challenges, in spite of the obstacles, we committed to, to worship the Lord in this location We committed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ from this location with the sole purpose of making passionate disciples of all peoples in our community and beyond. And because we committed to stand our ground together here, we also committed to renovate our facilities. They were in dire need of renovation, addressing. And so we made a commitment to address that and renovate Uh, We were able to do two out of three of our buildings, renovated the education building, able to renovate the Student Life Center. We are still in need of renovating this building. This auditorium desperately needs updating and renovation. And on this journey that we began eight years ago, we have seen God's blessings poured out on us. We have seen God's grace work in us and through us. For example, Uh, 89 people have professed Christ as their Savior. Is that not something to praise God for? 89 lives have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 57 people have identified with Christ in baptism. 45 people have committed to join us in membership. A handful of people have committed to grow through one-on-one discipleship. Over 75% of our congregation attends our discovery hour where they... Uh, can learn more about Jesus Christ, be in His Word more. 50% of our adults are involved in a grow group. Our Awana clubs, our Trek ministry has done a phenomenal job of reaching out into this specific community here where we are at and taking the gospel to them, bringing in kids on our vans and ministering not only to our own kids but to our community kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have provided opportunities to show Christ through several outreach events. Many of you have been a part of those, serving at them, and I applaud you for that. We have uh, continued to take the gospel around the world through 
our various missionary partnerships. You heard of one of those missionaries just last Sunday, the Mortons. How many were here to hear of their testimony? Yes, a great young couple that are taking the gospel to China. And so God has done great things. On the financial side, we have ended the year with a surplus in our general budget every year since I have been pastor here in 2002, except one. Our missions budget has steadily increased over the years as well. Plus, we just finished, just last year, the Mark from the Makande Bible Project, where we as a church family gave over $18,000 for that project. Amen? Hallelujah, right? And in 2008, if you were here with us, who can forget what God did through our Shama campaign? The campaign to raise money for the renovation of our buildings, where we gave over $425,000 for that purpose. Truly, we have much to praise God for, amen? On this journey of standing our ground for the sake of the gospel. And yet it is also true that on this journey, it has not always been easy. In fact, we said at the beginning that it was going to be a spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare, if you will. For any time we commit to stand our ground, Satan will stand his ground and he will attack. Satan's goal is to defeat us. In fact, he uses a threefold strategy to defeat us. He wants to divide us so we fight against each other instead of working together. He wants to distract us so that we focus on serving ourselves instead of serving our Lord. He wants to discourage us so that we feel like giving up instead of pushing forward for the sake of the gospel. After eight years, we have experienced many victories. We praise God for that. But we have also endured some defeats as well. Perhaps some have become divided in their relationships with one another. Within our church, even within your family, perhaps even within your marriage, you're divided. You have divided relationships. Perhaps some have become distracted by the cares of this life, the cares of the world, by the circumstances of life, even the changes of life. After all, we've gone through a major recession where some have lost jobs where some have changed jobs. Some of you now have kids where before you didn't. Some of you have kids who are teenagers where before they were in grade school. Some of you have kids who are in college, and some of you have no kids anymore, and you're like, yeah, they're out of the house. They're adults. They've moved on. Some have left or moved away. Some have dealt with declining health. Some have even lost loved ones in death. In fact, as I think back to even just a a couple of years ago, in 2013, it seemed like that was the year of disease and death in our church family. We had more people diagnosed with cancer in 2013 than ever before. In fact, in these last three years, I had performed more funerals than, ever, than before I ever did leading up to the, these last three years. And on a personal note, 2012, 2013 were probably the two most difficult years for my wife and I in our own marriage as we, God took us kind of through our own stuff. Hasn't always been easy. So it's no surprise that some of us, perhaps many of us here this morning, we have become just a little discouraged in life and even in ministry. And perhaps we have even felt like giving up. 
And so you may be wondering, well, what's the point of all this? Why are you sharing this with us, Bruce? Well, the point is we need to define reality. And we need to face the challenge that lies before us as a church family. And the reality is we have some gaps that need to be filled as we strive to achieve our mission of making passionate Christ followers. You say, well, what are some of those gaps? Well, let me just share a few. I don't have time to share them all, but here's just kind of a, a brief summary of some of those gaps. We have a gap in our general budget. Our giving is down about $10,000, or 3.5% from just 2013. We have a gap here in our worship attendance, to be quite honest with you. We are down 3% from 2013. We're down 9% from just the year before that in 2012. You may be asking, well, why is that? Well, there's several reasons, but you can point to at least three factors that I believe have factored into this gap in our attendance. People have either moved away or they've just left our church for various reasons. Two, people have died. We've experienced death, like I said, in the last three years. Number three, people are just not as consistent in their attendance like they once were. In fact, Tom Rainier of Lifeway Christian Resources explains in a recent study that just came out, he says, and I quote, stated simply, the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. This matters a lot, he says. If the frequency of attendance changes, then attendance will respond accordingly. For example, if 200 members attend every week, average attendance is 200. But if one half of those members miss one out of four weeks in the month, the attendance drops to 175. Did you catch that? No members left the church. Everyone is still actively active. But attendance declined more than 12% because half the members slightly changed their pattern. Our church is no different than the cultural norm of a lot of churches in America. We have seen that here in our own church. And perhaps, if we're really honest with ourselves, which I think we need to be here this morning, perhaps we would have to admit as a church family that we have a gap, maybe, in our passion to follow Christ. We have a gap in our, our burden to reach people for Christ. And perhaps, if I'm honest with you, I need to admit that there's been a gap even in my leadership as your pastor. Over the last few months... I've done a lot of thinking on this. I've done a lot of praying, and Lord knows I've told him many times, God, I don't want to be the one standing in the way of our church. I don't want to be the one standing in the way of our church moving forward, of you doing a work in our church. And if I'm standing in the way, then show that to me. Reveal that to me. Use our leadership council to reveal that to me, because I will resign. I will move on, and I will let somebody else come in who needs to be the pastor of this church. I have prayed that to my Lord. We have gaps. As I've thought and prayed about this, in the last few months, though, one verse has come to my mind. That is the verse that is found in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. It's the verse that Zach read for us. Let me read it to you again. It says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. 
Ezekiel wrote those words during a time when Israel had wandered far from God. And God was looking for just someone, one man or one woman, who would stand between him and the people in the gap of their faithfulness, faithlessness and disobedience. And had there been even one person, God said, he would have not destroyed the people. But there was no one, not even one, in all of Israel who would stand in the gap. Well, today, what I want us to do is to see someone in a different period in Israel's history who did stand in the gap. And because of his radical faith, and because of his all-in obedience, his people, which at that time was the southern kingdom of Israel, were preserved from destruction, and they experienced this radical awakening, if you will, a spiritual awakening, a word that we don't use a whole lot of, but you could even call it a spiritual revival. That man's name is Hezekiah. And he lived 123 years before Ezekiel wrote those words. And his story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. In fact, if you have your Bibles here, if you didn't bring a Bible, I invite you to use the Pew Bible there in front of you and turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And as you're turning there, here's the challenge I want to present to us as a church for the year 2015. The challenge is this is to see yourself as that one man or one woman who will stand in the gap before God on behalf of our community and beyond. That's the challenge. Hezekiah was that man in the gap for his time. And the challenge before us is to be a people like Hezekiah who will stand in the gap. Now here's a little trivia in case you're interested. Hezekiah's story believe it or not, is the most often told story in all the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Chronicles, it's found in the book of Kings, it's also found in the book of Isaiah, which means it must have been a very significant in how Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, significant in how they saw themselves. In other words, it was their go-to story. When they needed some encouragement, they went to this story. When they were down, when they needed replenishment, when they needed revival, when they needed something, they went to this story here that we're going to look at. I want it to become our story for this year. Let's start here in 2 Corinthians 28. And again, I encourage you, open your Bibles and follow along, because I don't have the verses printed out in your notes, by the way. There's too many of them this time around. Hezekiah was born in the southern kingdom of Israel at a time of great moral decline, as we already said. In fact, Ahaz, you may have heard of him, that's his father, and he had been, get this, one of the most ungodly kings in Israel's history. And Ezra summarized Ahaz's reign in this way in 2 Chronicles 28. If you go to verses 22 and 23, look what it says. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. Yeah, that one. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will now sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. But then Hezekiah comes on the scene. Hezekiah succeeded his father as king. And you drop down to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Look what it says in verses 1 and verse 3. 
Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Chapter 29 goes on to describe how Hezekiah not only got himself right with God, but he also led Israel in a spiritual awakening back to God. And what we learn from this, what I hope you see from this, is that standing in the gap always begins with a spiritual awakening or revival. So is this still possible today? Is this, can this be our reality even now, 2015, for Glenwood Baptist Church? Is it possible for us to experience what Hezekiah and his people at that time experienced? I would say yes, and here's how. I want to share it with you in five simple points here. Standing in the gap begins with a spiritual awakening. Number one, it happens, though, when God's people clean out the junk in their lives. A spiritual awakening happens when God's people clean out the junk in their lives. That's just a polite way of saying get rid of the sin in your life. Notice the first thing that Hezekiah does when he becomes king. You see this in now chapter 29, 2 Chronicles, we're now in verses 3 through 5. Look what he does. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Hezekiah started this revival, the spiritual awakening, with himself, the priest, and in the house of the Lord, the house of worship. Why? Because revival, spiritual awakening, always begins with God's people in God's house. You see, we think, we tend to think this way, even as Christians today, we think the problem is out there, outside of the walls of this church, outside of our community of believers here at Glenwood. Our society is the problem. Hollywood is too immoral. The media is too liberal. College professors are too cynical. And the courts, well, they've just failed us. We think the problem's out there. But Hezekiah is showing us something here. He's showing us that a spiritual awakening always starts with us in here, not with them out there. When we harbor secret sins, that is things in our hearts, stuff in our lives that we know are not right according to God's word, we hinder the power of God from working. And nothing grieves, and nothing drives out the presence of the Holy Spirit like harbored, unconfessed sin in the church. Tim Keller, some of you may have known the name. He's uh, a, a pastor up in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He's written many, many books, great author. And uh, he says this, and I quote, When I reconnect with a college student who grew up in a Christian home, but is strayed from his faith in college, I usually ask, so who are you sleeping with? Nine out of ten times, I will see a flush of embarrassment cross their face, and they will utter, ah, oh, what does that have to do with anything? And then Mr. Keller proceeds to explain to them everything. Willful sin makes the presence of God imperceptible to you. 
And so God's awakening, what we are seeing from Hezekiah, even Mr. Keller's example here, is that God's awakening always begins with God's people in God's church. It's been said that true revival, it's not noisy, at least not at first. It usually begins in in a hushed awe when people weep over sin before they shout with joy. So let me ask all of us here this morning, including myself, let me just ask us, what is your junk that needs to be cleaned out? Do you have any junk? Do you, do you have any sin in your life that's unconfessed? What, what sin do you need to confess to God and then receive his, his forgiveness of sin and let Him wash you all over, cleanse you all over again? What stuff, junk, do we need to deal with? Number two, spiritual awakening happens when God's people realign their lives on God's word. Notice what happens next in the story. Drop down to verse 25 in chapter 29. And he, that is Hezekiah, stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of God, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And then if you drop down to verse 30, it says, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads in worship. Do you see what Hezekiah is doing here? He is basically reestablishing God's Word as the center of their lives and of their worship. Listen, I can't say this enough, but God's Word is our church's life. That isn't anything new to those of you who have been attending our church here for a while. Listen, without it, we die. And this is why we dedicate a whole hour every Sunday to the teaching and learning of God's Word. It's what we call our discovery hour, and it's for all ages at 9.30 a.m. Here's the new year. I would encourage you, if you haven't, make a commitment this year to be a part of our discovery hour and be a part of the teaching and learning, diving deeper into the study of God's Word for all age groups, for all peoples. This is why we take time to read God's Word publicly in our worship service. Why do we have scripture reading? Listen, it's a verbal reminder to us as a congregation that we come to hear from God himself. We don't come, I hope you don't come to hear from me and my opinions, because my opinions are meaningless. My goal is to preach God's word, teach what God has to say. This is why the largest time slot in our worship service is giving to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And our custom here, my custom here, is to preach through passages of Scripture, even whole books of the Bible, so that we are focused on God's Word. It is the centrality of our service. It's also why we try to make Scripture the center of the songs we sing in our worship service. Our goal is to sing songs that are based on God's Word, songs that point to the person and work of Jesus Christ, songs that point to the the eternal promises that we cherish in God that He has made to us. Here's the point of what I'm trying to say. God's Word is the life of our church. Remove the centrality of God's Word from our church and we die. And the same is also true for our lives as individuals. 
Remove the centrality of God's Word from your life, your marriage, your family, your job, your finances, and it will die. So the exhortation is to get into God's Word. Read it. Cling to it. Apply it to every situation and relationship in your life. It's the beginning of a new year. So let me ask you. Do you have a a commitment to get into God's Word this year? Do you have a plan to get into God's Word? And part of that plan is, is to come here on Sunday mornings and be part of our worship service, be part of our discovery hour, even our grow groups in community under God's Word, but it also has to be an individual thing too. Get into God's Word Monday through Sunday, Saturday. Do you have a plan for that though? Listen, it doesn't have to be a complicated plan. In fact, I would encourage you, keep your plan simple. Check out the reading plans at the back of the info table of the auditorium there. Uh, You can use a Bible app on your smartphone. It's interesting, as most of you know, we were on vacation in Colorado just this uh, week ago, and and the new year happened to come up while we were out there, and and my wife is now using, her plan is to use the YouVersion Bible app to read through the Bible in a year. So come January 1st, she's telling me all about this. I mean, Bruce, have you checked this out? Man, look at this. It even, it even checks it off for you. I mean, it's so easy. And, of course, she has her phone in front of her in bed, and she's just reading off from her phone. And I'm like, man, that is not me. I, I got I, I to have this, you know. And I, I got to sit at a desk, not in bed. And, of course, she, her plan is to read through the Bible in the whole, whole year. Ambitious plan. I'm not quite as spiritually ambitious as her. My plan is to read through the New Testament this year. And, and uh, I use a, a, a yearly Bible reading plan for that. It doesn't matter what your plan is. You've got to have a plan. If you need help with that, come see me. Some, come see Pastor Chris. We'll help you get a plan. Spiritual awakening, number three, happens when God's people remember the gospel. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, as we move on in Hezekiah's story, it gives a lengthy description of how Hezekiah reestablished the Passover feast. Look what it says in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Why? To keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. And here's how the people responded in verse 5. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Basically, they had neglected it. Now, maybe you're wondering, what is the Passover feast? Well, you can read all about it. I encourage you to do so in Exodus chapter 12. Let me give you a synopsis of it. The Passover was basically a feast that commemorated the night when God told the children of Israel to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost of every house to protect them from the curse of death that he was sending on the country of Egypt. Remember, the children of Israel in bondage to Egypt. Moses was leading them. Let my people go to the promised land. And then God said in Exodus 12, 13, when I see the blood that you posted over the doorstep, doorpost, I will pass over you. 
hence the name Passover feast. Feast being the celebration, the commemoration of that. In the New Testament, though, that, what took place there, what the children of Israel did, what they were supposed to commemorate and remember, that becomes the symbol of what Christ did for us on the cross. Listen, see, we, we're, we're born in slavery too. Slavery of sin. We are born under the curse of death because of our sin. But Jesus' blood on the, if I could say it this way, on the doorpost of our heart saves us from this death. And so when Hezekiah became king, the people had basically neglected this ceremony. And so he reestablished the Passover feast as a focal point in the worship of God. Now what's interesting is that when you study Israel's times of spiritual decline, they almost always were characterized by, by a time of spiritual forgetting. God, in fact, warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And of course, if you know Israel's history, that's exactly what they didn't do. They did forget. They forgot what God had done. They forgot His mighty works in the past. And how God brings His people back is by reminding them of His great salvation. And part of how He wanted to do that is by them remembering the Passover feast, commemorating what God had done in the past for them. Because God wanted to keep doing it. Keep delivering them. And ultimately, through the greatest deliverer, the ultimate deliverer of Jesus Christ. Listen, the same is true with us today. Peter tells us, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, that when we kind of grow cold spiritually, when we become apathetic to the Spirit of God, the things of God, the people of God, and God's Word, it's because we have, quote, forgotten that we were cleansed from our old sins. And how can we forget that? But we do. Now, forgotten here doesn't mean we don't know that it happened, but rather it's the idea that it's not real to us anymore. It's not impacting our lives like it once did. We've neglected its power and its promise. And so to experience spiritual awakening, you usually don't need to learn some new truth about God. Rather, you need to remember how great a salvation God has given to you in Jesus Christ. So, are we cold? Are you cold spiritually? Am I cold spiritually? If so, then ask God to open your eyes, to open your heart to His extravagant grace that you've experienced and to His eternal promises that you have in Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord. We need to move from forgetting to remembering and, and embracing and relishing and renewing ourselves in what God has done for us through His grace in Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my goals when I preach every Sunday here is to help us see the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we have in Him. 
You and I were so bad in our sins that Jesus had to die to save us. And His love for you was so intense that He was glad to die on the cross to save you from your sins. So, so let me just throw out the question for us to contemplate. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? I don't assume that on anyone here. Do you know for sure that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God forbid, if He would take you home tonight, if you were to die, where, where would you spend your eternity? And if you say, with the Lord in heaven, what do you base that on? Have you experienced God's forgiveness for your sins? Have you experienced new life in Christ? Listen, spiritual awakening happens when we remember the gospel that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. Number four, spiritual awakening happens when God's people devote themselves to prayer. Throughout these chapters, you find Hezekiah praying for the people and the people praying. Let me just show you this briefly. If you drop down to verses 18 through 20, we're still in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. And it tells us, for a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. That's so awesome. And then in verse 27, we read, Then the priests, the Levites, arose, and they blessed the people. They did that by praying over them, for them. And their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to His holy dwelling place to heaven. Spiritual awakening happens when God's people devote themselves to prayer. Jonathan Edwards, who led in the first great awakening, the in, in, here in America, which was the largest revival our country has ever seen, said there's no awakening apart from prayer. Someone else has said prayer doesn't bring the awakening. Prayer is the awakening. So do you want to help our church? Do you want to be a part of our church? Be a part of something that is helping our church and reaching our community and beyond for Christ? Then pray. I beg for your prayers. I beg for you to pray on my behalf on Pastor Chris's behalf, on behalf of our church, on behalf of everyone in here, on behalf of our community. Pray for our church, pray for our community, pray for our kids and our teens, pray for your lost friends and family. And to be quite honest with you, this has been a gap in our church here lately. And the buck stops with me, because I haven't led us to be involved in this enough. Well, we're going to change that this year a little bit. We have a chance to do what Hezekiah and the people did as a church family in two weeks. On Sunday evening, January 25th at 5 p.m., down in the multipurpose room, we're going to have the first of what I hope will be four praise and prayer evenings that we're simply calling Ignite. Because our purpose as a church is to grow passionate, ignite a passion in people to grow and follow Christ. And if this is your church home, man, I'm asking you to be there. Join us in prayer and praise on January 5th. And I know it's January, and I know it's cold and miserable on that night, but you know what? This is worthy. You can join us. 
please do so. And my hope is that what took place in Hezekiah's story takes place in our story here at Glenwood. I love what it says in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. That's part of what we'll do. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 27 says, And God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, His holy dwelling place. God heard their prayers, and He answered their prayers. Spiritual awakening, number five, happens when God's people give generously. Notice the giving of God's people. You can't help but see it here in chapter 31, specifically in verses 4 through 10. Follow along as I read. It says, Moreover, Hezekiah commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Verse 5. As soon as the commandment was circulated, here's the response of the people. The children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. And then in verse 7, In the third month they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and His people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. I love it. It'd be like, Bill, how? What is going on? We have so much money in the bank here. Where did it all come from? It's basically what Hezekiah is doing. He's questioning it. Where did all this come from? Verse 10, And Azariah the chief priest from the house of Zadok answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is this great abundance. Whoa, blow me away. Now when it comes to giving, I know we start fidgeting. Don't fidget. Just hold your Bible, open it, and take it in. Embrace it. When it comes to giving, Glenwood, you all, as a church, have been characterized as a generous church. This is a very generous church. In many ways, what, has, what describes Hezekiah the people could describe our church. When it comes to the Mark for the Maconde Bible Project, as I said already, you all gave over $18,000 in 2014. When it comes to our annual Christmas offering, which we have done for, what, six, seven years now, which funds our benevolence ministry. Our church has given generously to that. By the way, if you haven't already, you can still give to our Christmas offering all the way through the month of January. When we have taken up special love offerings for people in our church family that are in need, our church has responded generously. For example, not that long ago, we took up a special offering for John Bosch. Some of you may remember him. Died of cancer. Family was in need. We gave over $6,000 in a love offering for him and his family. When we were facing a gap in our budget, my second year as pastor in 2003, we had a special offering in June, summer months, when people are on vacation, 
to make up the gap. And our church gave over $13,000 in one offering to fill the gap, to stand in that gap. When we launched the Shama campaign, we set a law offering goal of $50,000. And on one Sunday, our church responded and gave over $150,000. And then in the course of 18 months, our church gave over $425,000 total. When it comes to our missions giving, which, by the way, is above and beyond our regular offerings, tithes, our church has consistently increased its giving over the years. In fact, in 2013, we gave over $96,000 for world missions, which was in addition to the $296,000 given in our general budget that year, which if you're doing the math, that is about 33% of our total income for that year. That's unheard of. That is incredible. 33% of a church's total income devoted over to world missions. Most churches, when they do a total budget and they take missions out of their total budget, they're lucky to do 10%. And if they're really good, they'll devote 20%. 33% of our total income. Taking the gospel around the world. When it comes to our general budget, as I've already said, we have ended the year with a surplus every year except one, and that was in 2010 when we missed it by $1,628. That still bugs me. There's no question. Glenwood is a generous church when it comes to giving. And yet, the reality is our giving is down this last year in both our general budget and in our missions budget. The final numbers are not in yet, but it looks like our giving for 2014 will be around $286,000, which means we will fall short about $10,000 in our general budget. This is down about 3.5% from 2013 giving. In light of this gap in our giving, our finance team is recommending a budget of about $286,000-$87,000 for this year, 2015. And they have worked hard to cut the budget so we can get down to that number. But to be quite honest with you, the reality is for our church to operate fully, to fulfill our mission, and to accomplish our ministries that we believe God is leading us to do, we really need a budget of around $300,000. Last few years, we've been operating at a budget under that. $296,000, $295,000, and of course, this last year, because our giving was only $286,000, our finance team is recommending we set the budget for $287,000. That leaves us shy of $13,000. We had to cut, make changes, make cuts, just like everyone does at home when they don't have quite the income as they expect to have. You say, well, what's the answer to all this? I don't have all the answers, but I do have one for us this morning. We, just, we need to stand in the gap as a church family. I have said in the past, I still believe it today with all my heart, God will, listen to me, always, God will always provide the necessary funds for His church through the generous giving of His people. 
And when a church doesn't have the funds to fulfill God's mission, it's not because there is a lack of money in the church, it's because there is a lack of giving by all the people. Here's how God works when it comes to giving. When everyone gives something, there's always enough to support the mission of the church. Always. I ask you to consider what your giving will be this year. Are you giving? Are you giving anything? And listen, our church has been a generous church. Most of you here, I'm preaching to the choir. And so this is something all of us have to look inward at. What are we doing? What are we giving? When everyone gives something, and it's not about the amount. When everyone gives something on a faithful, regular, consistent basis, there's always enough to support the mission of the church. The reality is we have a gap, and the challenge that I'm presenting to us for this year is to see yourself as that one man or that one woman who will stand in the gap. And so here's the concluding question. Like Hezekiah, will you stand in the gap? But please know, if you're going to stand in the gap, then you must go all in as a Christ follower. Look what it says in chapter 31, verses 20 through 21. It says, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God. Notice it, it's underlined in your notes. He did it with all his heart. In other words, he went all in. Church, that's what we must be willing to do. we got to go all in in. We can't be leaving part of ourselves behind, back, holding on to this or that. It's all in. And as we think about our challenge to stand in the gap, I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ stood in the gap between us and God. Amen? Are you thankful for that? Jesus went all in for you and for me, for us. He gave himself as a sacrifice for us and those of us who are saved because of his sacrifice. Listen, we should now no longer live for ourselves, but live for God. Why? So that others can live through his sacrifice as well. Let's bow our heads. As we bow our heads together in prayer, I want us to close out our time together by taking communion. And I want us to first go before the Lord in prayer. Remember, standing in the gap begins with the spiritual awakening. The spiritual awakening happens when God's people clean out the junk in their lives. So do you have any unconfessed sin that you need to bring before God here this morning? Spiritual awakening happens when God's people realign their lives in God's Word. Are you devoted to God's Word? Being under it, reading it, applying it. Spiritual awakening happens when God's people remember the Gospel. So have you put your faith in Jesus for your salvation? And are you living out your new life in Christ? Spiritual awakening happens when God's people devote themselves to prayer. 
Will you pray for our church? Will you come to our Ignite prayer time? Spiritual awakening happens when God's people give generously. Will you stand in the gap by giving something this year? And if you give already, will you continue to stand in the gap by giving faithfully and consistently? Lord, we come to you this morning and we need your help. We need your power. We need your presence upon us. And Lord, we ask that you would work among us and in us. Lord, you would show us where we need realignment in our lives according to your word. Lord, you would show us the junk in our lives that he's cleaned out. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus has already paid the price for that junk. We can come to the cross and we can seek forgiveness. We can be cleansed and made new. Lord, help us to stand in the gap this year. And as we prepare ourselves before we take communion, help all of us to come before you and pray, giving you thanks for your son, dealing with our own personal lives as need be. Lord, work in our church. Do a work that can only be explained by you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The praise team's going to come and they're going to sing. They're going to sing a chorus, and as they do, my invitation to you is come before God, before we come to the table to take communion. Do business with God. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus Christ. Pray. And if you're like, I don't know what to pray for, then just pray for yourself. Pray for our church. It can be as simple as, Lord, do a work in this church. Do a work in my life. You pray as you see fit. And then after we're done singing a chorus, I invite those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ to come to the table and participate in the Lord's Supper. There are four tables spread throughout the auditorium. Of course, the juice and the bread are simply symbols of the blood of Christ and his broken body on the cross. And oh, how we are thankful for what Christ did in the past, his sacrifice, but oh, how we look forward to what he is yet to do in the future and he's coming again, amen. So will you... Do business with God before you come to the table.